gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Why the remarkable big daddy? Remarkable. Remarkable. What? Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Solo Stove with Chief Evangelist at Purple Cork. We are Solo Stove. Karina Owens. Karina, how are you? I am great. I'm so thrilled to be on here with you and talking to you. I'm used to listening to you on my pod. Well, it is wonderful having you on the show. Excited to dive into Purple Cork and, of course, Solo Stove. So why the heck did you pick Solo Stove? Well, if anybody's been paying attention to them for the past three years, they've put out some incredible marketing campaigns. Most recently, the one people would probably be most familiar with is the one with Snoop Dogg. I have an announcement. I'm giving up smoke. But he's also done some incredible work with Team Coco, Conan O'Brien. So really excited to dive into the brilliance of their marketing plans. And zooming out, tell us a little bit about what it means to be Chief Evangelist of Purple Cork. Ooh, that's a big zoom out, but to try and keep it at 30,000 view here, (laughs) I essentially am the right hand to our CEO. I am seeking to evangelize virtual events across B2B in particular. And so I seek to do that by being hand in hand with all things customer experience. And yeah, just trying to spread the good word about how to make virtual events drive revenue for your business. And we're going to dive all into that here later on in the show. Meredith. What the heck is Solo Stove? So anyone who sat around a campfire and had to move like seat after seat after seat just to avoid the smoke would like Solo Stove because it's smokeless. And that's really the thing that kind of sets it apart from other fire pits. So, um, but Solo Stove is the brand actually makes us a whole suite of portable smokeless fire pits and camp stoves. While starting a fire in your solo stove is already the easiest way to get a beautiful smoke-free flame, we know that you guys love perfecting the craft. We've gathered these tips to impress your guests and guarantee that your family always wants to join you in your favorite backyard spot. They also have a pizza oven and a grill and a bunch of accessories that go along with it. So like I mentioned, it's smokeless. And the company explains that it basically works more efficiently than a traditional fire pit. So it funnels air through the pit twice for what they call a second burn. So not only is there no smoke, but also it also burns hotter. And there's, of course, a bunch of like engineering that goes into it and yeah, gets complicated. But um, it was basically started by these two brothers, Jeff and Spencer Jan in 2011. It was a Kickstarter campaign. They raised $15,000 and that's it, which seems wild to me for the Kickstarter. Totally crazy. But originally they're from Ontario, Canada. Their parents had emigrated from China. They don't have an engineering background. They say they're just tinkerers. And so they're messing around with this idea for a portable camping stove. And their goal being that they wanted to earn some passive income some passive income is now become this like huge brand. I want a smokeless fire pit. You have a smokeless fire pit. But it's not a smokeless solo stove mesa fire pit. Imagine it, Carol. Friends gathered around. Yeah. Family getting cozy. So snug. Kids making s'mores. I can practically taste them. The neighbors laughing at my hilarious jokes. And you lost me. But anyway, the brothers, um, a a couple of things that really made them successful, like right off the bat, was they sourced a a lot of their materials from China because one of them was living in Shanghai at the time and was doing a lot of like material sourcing for other companies. And he was like, let me use this skill for our brand. And then they also tapped into Amazon as a selling platform. It had just opened up to everyone being able to use it. So both of those factors really led to their, you know, pretty quick success. So it now has an enterprise value of nearly $500 million after going public in 2021. And now they're solo brands, not just solo stove. So they've also since acquired the brand Chubbies, the shorts, Oru Kayak, and Isle, who, do, who 
they do paddle boards. And research analyst Peter Keith made this good point that there wasn't much innovation in the fire pit marketplace for a very long time, which kind of makes me laugh because I'm from Vermont originally and our fire pit was like just a hole dug in the ground (laughs) (laughs) surrounded by stones. But so Solo Stove has really like taken off as this outdoor lifestyle brand. And I think the things that make them unique are one, yes, the smokeless aspect of it, which is kind of, to me, like kind of novel because I feel like the smoke is kind of part of the fire fire pit experience, but maybe I'm just like from from a rural area, you know what You're I mean? You're a purist. But I'm a purist. Fire but, pit. <laughs> but it also made me think of like the, when the smoke is following you and there's like a, you say like white rabbit, white rabbit, white rabbit. I don't know if any of you ever did that. No, no. I've never heard that. <laughs> it's like a, I don't even know. I think it's based on like a myth or something like that, where if you, if you say it three times, the smoke will go off to somebody else. So you're like pushing it off to somebody else. No, um, I've never heard of this. Yeah, I, I have saying, to oh, look into it. <laughs> it's, it's a variation of that. So it could be rabbit, 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 or white rabbit, white rabbit, white rabbit, or I hate white rabbit. Anyway, there are a bunch of like variations on it. Um, to be clear, this was not in the research. This is this, this is Meredith. This going is off my lived experience. I, yeah, this is lived experience only. I've never heard that. Um, That's so funny. Um, but so anyway, back to my point. The things that I think make it special, the smokeless aspect to it is big. But I think it's also like it's portable, so you can take it anywhere. So you can kind of set up a little like little loungy area in your backyard, or you can take it camping. I'm Janelle with Solo Stove, and this is the Solo Stove Campfire. This is our largest wood-burning stove, and it's great to take group camping or when you just want a big flame. It really, like, invites people around, right? And it really took off during the pandemic because of that. And then the other thing is, like, it feels like if anyone has ever built their own, like, bonfire, it can feel kind of out of control very quickly. And so this feels like very contained, very controllable. And so it feels kind of like a safer alternative. So that was kind of like what stuck out to me about the solo stove. But I'm wondering, Karina, do you own a solo stove? And I do. What's been your experience with it? Yeah, I mean, so we also bought it at the height of the pandemic, just looking for new ways to kind of make our outdoor experience in our own home you know, more enjoyable. And I really loved the price point of it. It was a really low cost investment for us to try this out. And we've just been huge fans of it. Neither of us are like really equipped to build (laughs) normal fires as is. So it's just super easy to use, super easy to clean up and very easy to store. So we always just take it out and we put it away later too. So that really stuck out to me just how affordable it was, like a really easy barrier to entry. What's up, everybody? I'm Ty from Solo Stove. And I'm Chris. And we're going to teach you how to light your brand new Mesa tabletop fire pit with both pellets and small wood fuel in just a matter of minutes. I also own one. And uh, uh, so I haven't used it yet, full disclosure. I have not. Oh. But I bought it. But I bought it. So I bought it. It was like a really good deal. And I bought it. This is probably like it was going into the summer. So it was a little while ago. And I was like, we're going to do some stuff this summer, but I have a two-year-old. And so I'm like putting the fire there. And like, he just wasn't ready to be around fires, you know, at that particular junction. But we do a lot of camping. Uh, And so my thought was, and I have a truck, so I'm like, I can throw it in the truck and we go camping. And the big thing in California is like wildfires are obviously very big. And so they're very protective about sort of like putting fires in. You have to have like an actual camp ring in a lot of places or there's a lot of restrictions, stuff like that. So I was like, oh, it'd be helpful for that too. But the biggest thing is that like we do a fire campfire like every time we go camping and, you know, then you come back and like all of your clothes reek of smoke, which Meredith, to your point, totally agree with you. (laughs) I love it too. But there is definitely some diminishing returns when you are sitting in the privacy of your own home and then like all of your stuff smells like smoke, everything smells like smoke and your jacket, you then put it with your other jacket smells like smoke. So anyways, these are first world problems. I know what you're thinking. Snoop. Smoke is kind of your whole thing, but I'm done with it. Done with the coughing and my clothes smelling all sticky icky. I'm going smokeless. But <laughs> all of those things were the things that sort of convinced me to to do it anyways. And I don't know about you, Karina, how, how you first found out about it, but I just saw, you know, Instagram after Instagram ad of smokeless fire pit. And like, that was that was all it took to get me to sort of like research it and figure out the size and all that. It was a two-pronged approach. So we definitely were getting advertised. I would say my partner was more than I on social channels. I was actually experiencing them through the Conan O'Brien advert that they did with them. So that was my, yeah, that was my exposure. 
sitting around a, a campfire and um, I can't wait to use this. I, they gave me one. Yeah. I'll just say it. And the only problem is if I get this bubble built around my house, yeah. the smoke's going to collect. <laughs> Luckily, there's not much smoke. Well, that's right. Hey. So funny you bring that up, but huh. it's true. There's not much, uh, not much smoke when you get a, it's ingenious. But listen, maybe solo stove will come up later. Maybe they won't. Who knows? Right. It's one of the great mysteries of this wonderful outdoor adventure we're having. That's that's too funny. That's great. I love that. Hitting both sides of the of the household. So when you have such a unique selling feature, and I think, you know, there's a little bit of variety and sort of like the product in general, and people are like, yeah, campfires are awesome. Smoke stinks. Pardon the pun. And so I think you have like really good product. And then if you start layering on good marketing, then you get something that's really unique. And so then most recently, they did this thing with Snoop Dogg. I'm Snoop Dogg. Solo stole Fix 5. They took out the smoke. Matter of fact, you should go get you one. Get you two. I'm Snoop Dogg. Go to solostove.com. Tell them Big Snoop Dogg sent you. And, I mean, I saw it. I saw the post that Snoop Dogg made about that he's giving up smoke and i saw sort of like the comments and everything of everyone like 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 damn you didn't really do it man like like something must have happened at home like what happened you know all this stuff like all this <laughs> it like, made it was, headlines it made news yeah. headlines yeah legitimate news like mm-hmm. news yeah. everywhere people screenshotting it posted on their channels like making memes doing all this stuff like i have no idea what the total reach of the campaign is i couldn't find it but it was like a huge huge like new story. Snoop Dogg's giving up smoke, but it's not what you think. All right, Snoop Dogg made headlines when he announced on social media, he quote, decided to give up smoke. Which like is hilarious in our current day and age that one of the people that a lot of, especially millennials, <laughs> grew, millennials grew up with Snoop Dogg and like him giving up weed is basically the big it's it's essentially our biggest headline as like <laughs> millennials it's like if that happens it's shaking the bedrock i mean you talk about like you know famous breakups you know and you're like brad and angelina and you know and all these things i'm like if if snoop dogg and we break up like i don't know if the the the, the american family is safe anymore you know and it turns out yeah. it was a ruse yeah <laughs> It's yeah, exactly. And that's what I loved about it is that I even sensed as a as a marketer the fact that it was gaining such traction and just what I know about Snoop having kind of grown up with him and his music and then seeing him evolve to be kind of like a brand of himself, right? How he brands himself in all these different mediums. I sensed that there was some disingenuity to it, but to your point, Ian, what they did was it was very strategic because they had a whole news cycle that weekend of Snoop giving up smoking. And again, it was like a very staged feeling, but I don't think everybody picked up on that. Just the way he held the video, like it just seemed, it didn't seem natural. But again, who knows with Hollywood, right? So then that week, it actually came out like, no, this is actually like part of a campaign with Solo Stove. So the the the, the multi approach to how they dripped out the content for this campaign, I thought was really brilliant and really works with, you know, how obsessed this generation is with celebrities and virality and just how widespread, you know, no pun intended there, how wild that can be like just a widespread fire of news media is picking up on that. So... How it came about is the the CEO of this is by the way this information is from the Los, uh, an article in the Los Angeles Magazine. So the CEO of Solo Stove, John Maris, reached out to Snoop's essentially his agent or business manager, and was like, "Hey, we have this stove, this smokeless, and we think it would be really fun if we got Snoop to endorse it and say he went smokeless." And so I guess his manager was like, yeah, this is definitely not going to work. Quote, that's a big ask. Even if we make this <laughs> statement, he may smoke like 15 minutes after posting it. Right, 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 right. Um, but The guardrails, uh, yeah, you're having to like super protect him now, right? Like, let's not let him out in public. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting that that sort of like just the idea, extremely simple pitch, extreme, extremely simple concept. And and I guess so Snoop was super into it and they did a, a bunch of work on it. But it's interesting that they said that if they had planned it for a year, it probably wouldn't have turned out as well as it did. And they said that Snoop was really involved. And like one, that's one of the things that differentiates him from you know other celebrities that like he really wanted to be involved, make it funny. He wasn't aware of Solo Stove before that from you know the fire pits and outdoor pizza ovens and all that stuff. Again, you can read this article on Los Angeles Magazine. It's really good. You can do pizza your way with an oven that's simple enough to be your first and powerful enough to be your last. High Prime Pizza Oven by Solo Stove. And he was just super into it. And like, it's just such a great reminder to me that it's like taking a chance, sending the cold email, finding the person who aligns with what you do. Um, and especially, you know, in in our world in B2B marketing, where there's so much value in good partnerships, that if you have the crazy idea, just fire off the idea. Like this, this is like, this is quite literally just someone being like, you know, Snoop smokes a lot and we don't have smoke, like match made in heaven. You know what I mean? Like that's so silly, but it's, it worked out amazingly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's what we see with B2B brands anyways too, right? We see the ones that take big swings and make big bets. Those are the ones that are going to stand out from the noise. So to your point, what's the risk here when the upside is just so massive? If nothing else, at least Snoop Dogg knows about solo stoves, right? Well, and yeah, and it, no, literally, that's a great point is like, you know, we always joke about with our with our like business thrillers, our fiction, our fiction podcasts, like, if the worst thing that happened is just we have a hit podcast, like there's, there's, there's worse things in life. And right. one of the things that's interesting about Snoop is so he committed to the bit, but he didn't need to. So he didn't need so he wrote that, like, respect my privacy on the post. <laughs> but, but he didn't need to do that. And so then yeah. he actually like, stayed off and abstained and so that's what made oh, wow. it feel so real is that and that was all <laughs> his choice that wasn't that wasn't like that um and i think there's a little bit of like like you said rbs detectors as anything like this like oh it's a it's a it's a paid campaign and it's a well you're gonna campaign. keep an eye on it more right you're gonna want to poke holes you're gonna want to find out like oh what was the driving force for snoop to even want to stop smoking like you're gonna do all this sleuthing and you know as our generation is also well-trained to do this. We're really trained to do online sleuthing. So I'm sure he put two and two together with that, just being a celebrity, that he may have to be a little bit more thoughtful about it and act really quickly. To your point, not delay this for a year, but act now with the idea. Solo stole Fix 5. They took out the smoke. Clever. Yeah, and, and like you said, as soon as there was a video component to this, we should have known. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but it's Snoop and it's a big announcement. And like, of course, you would shoot a video. Like, he's a famous celebrity. You know, like, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, if he had done it in via like Notes app on his iPhone, like, that would have been <laughs> also hysterical. Actually, that would be great. That's a good part, too. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I thought was also fascinating from, again, from his agent is that he was saying that he's sort of like the ultimate connoisseur and that like he loves wine. He loves, you know, obviously all different types of cannabis, of he loves all this stuff. Yeah. All the strains. But I think it's interesting just the idea of finding someone who's a connoisseur and partnering with them, someone who has taste and who only puts their, you know, their brand in front of things that they value. Like the converse of this would be like Shaquille O'Neal, right? This is me living with back pain. And this is me treating back pain with Icy Hot Smart Relief. Where it's like, does Shaquille O'Neal really use Icy Hot? I don't know. But mm -hmm. I think of him when I think of Icy Hot, which is not a bad thing. But like, no. do I really think he's slathering up with Icy Hot? Like, probably not. But oh, whereas right. like, I definitely think Snoop has a solo stove now. <laughs> for sure. Like, he definitely yeah. does. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think he's very versatile. I think the fact that you see him partnering with Martha Stewart. Today is Christmas cookie day. And I thought that uh, by, what, who could be better to make Christmas cookies than Snoop Dogg? And you wanted us to make green colored brownies. How come yeah. green? Green is environmental and it's... <laughs> and doing like baking show competitions and doing, you know, game show competitions. He's clearly making himself somebody that any brand could reach out to and try to appeal to. So I think for me, having known like, 
his kind of experience with building that portfolio of things that he associates himself with. That's why instantly it clicked with me, like, who could it be to? I'm a little bit upset that I didn't pick up that it was Solar Stove. But there is still the the alignment that that you can make. And I, to your point, I actually think it's going to get maybe harder for campaigns like this to happen. So I think acting with celebrities and big personas that aren't doing a ton yet, but do have a really good following. Again, who did they choose? They chose somebody like Snoop Dogg and somebody like Conan. I would say that they're really appealing to your point, Ian, to like a certain demographic, but that's a big demographic. Like that's a big age range where you're encompassing females and males. It's not so narrow like a football star or, you know, I don't know, right? Like it's still pretty vast. So I think that utilizing these celebrities because there's not there's actually not really a b2b brand that isn't doing there's not many b2b brands that are not doing stuff with conan o'brien for example i think snoop dogg's gonna end up being like that just given the fact that he started his partnership with linkedin earlier this year it's gonna start to become more of the norm so i think leveraging celebrities right now that have that kind of vast appeal but don't have so many endorsements quite yet i think is the way in for a lot of other marketers yeah, I, I I totally agree. And I think that I think that like influencer marketing, quote unquote, which is an incredibly loaded term, right? Like, <laughs> what is an influencer? What it like, it's so incredibly com- complex. I talk about this all the time on the show, of like, same thing as video, where you're like, are we going to invest more in video? It's like, sure, well, video is like a medium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm going to invest more in, you know, like in exercise. And you're like, what does that mean? Are you hitting the treadmill? Are you going for walks? Are you, you know, like that's, so anyways, that's a catch-all term. And so, but like specifically like celebrity endorsements being a component of that, of like, what does that mean? How to integrate it, how to do it well. And I think the the Snoop, the Snoop thing really speaks to, to that. I think the other thing, another lesson for this is about timing, which is they did it right before Thanksgiving when everyone is going to be talking around the dinner table about With something. Their family. Yeah, yeah. And your weird uncle, you know, is going to bring up something weird and whatever. And you can be like, hey, did you know that Snoop's given up smoking? That's crazy. You yep. know? Yeah. Why demographic appeal? You're right. Like, again, too, you're, you're going to be kind of probably not working. It's a national holiday. You're going to be around all members of your family across all ranges. And you know, it's going to have made like headline news. So yeah, it is pretty brilliant. Okay. It is something that goes together like peanut butter and jelly, Snoop Dogg and smoking pot. But the rapper made quite the shocking announcement. It is unclear if the known weed enthusiast is being serious or is potentially teasing up some new business venture that may involve edible marijuana. Some fans are questioning if it's a prank. Others are congratulating him and wishing him luck on the lifestyle change. Yeah. And then, you know, then you see them over, over, you know, the Christmas holiday and then you're like, Hey, by the way, that whole thing was fake. So it turns out he's not, you know, he can never give up the devil's lettuce. I think uh, the great thing too, (laughs) I don't know if I've ever heard that. That's interesting. Um, (laughs) I think the great thing about that too, is that he also didn't get public backlash. There weren't people that were like, angry as a result that they've been quote unquote duped, right? They were very much like, oh my God, that's hysterical. I think both the brand and Snoop handled the the response about how they revealed it really well too, to avoid any kind of public backlash of, oh shoot, how could he just dupe us? You know, I, I think it felt very comical and like everybody got in in the joke eventually. Snoop Dogg pulled a fast one on all of us when he declared he was giving up smoke, posting... After much consideration and discussion with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. A lot of fans were confused by the announcement that seemed to come out of nowhere, but now we know what the dog father is up to. Solo stole fix five. They took out the smoke. He cleared the air, revealing he's giving up smoke in his outdoor stove as part of his latest endorsement deal with Solo Stove Fire Pit Company. I totally agree. And like, it's Snoop, so we forgive him for anything. I mean, he's like... We we do. (laughs) We too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's very unassuming in that, in that sort of way. Yep. Yep. Meredith, what do you think about all of it as a, as a, as being very pro smoke, as it turns out, which we didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. True. Very, very much so. (laughs) Um, Well, a couple of things. You mentioned timing and I feel like it's interesting timing for Snoop Dogg too, who I feel like I feel like with like legalization of like weed and things like that, like I don't know that he could have been 
seen as positively kind of like across the board as a spokesperson for a brand before you know what I mean before legalization of of marijuana devil's lettuce and so (laughs) I think it's really funny or really interesting that like his timing as a spokesperson is spot on too to help the brand like spread will spread awareness spread popularity and things like that and really like launch them you know in a new way and yeah so I thought that was really interesting and then Ian you had also were wondering about reach and I did find some numbers I was looking at the green market report.com and they said according to a solo so spokesperson that this campaign got more than 31 million likes comments and shares across wow. its campaign content on Instagram TikTok Facebook and X which like when will X just go back to being Twitter you know what I mean <laughs> and it said it, it drove 1.2 million brand mentions on social posts and in news articles and generated a total value of 43.5 million in exposure um, and global news coverage of the campaign also produced over 19.5 billion overall impressions worth an estimated 37.5 million in media value. So really, yeah, <laughs> drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it was huge. It was huge. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're like, and that's like a, that's not even considering things like Reddit and, you know, other micro or not as popular social media sites like LinkedIn, like that is incredible because it's reached so went far beyond even just what you share there. That's just massive. Well, and also just like, I mean, we always want to get all the numbers and stuff, but like, you know, the actual spreading of word of mouth of all those people who like talked about it with their friends or things like that. Or, and again, that like made them like pick their head out, out of the clouds for a moment and just like, like, Oh, this is crazy. And, you know, I do wonder, you know, to poke holes in it. Like, I do wonder how many people, you know, read the retraction sort of a thing, right? It's like how many people do notice that it's a ruse versus like they there's probably a lot of people that still think that he gave up smoking, right? Which is more yeah. more to the point, more cool and how ambitious he is as a brand. He's like, I don't care. Like, you know, they're gonna see me sparking up, you know, another time. Also of note, the photo of him warming his hands by the fire wearing the <laughs> Death Row Records Letterman startup with the glasses on. That is iconic. I mean, I might need to get a poster <laughs> of that. It's, the, it's yeah. a sweet photo. They did like a, a really great job with the photography on it. It's pretty epic. So shout out to them. Yeah. And I wonder how like how that deal, like how 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 much longer are they going to be able to use things like that, right? Because those assets, to your point, are like invaluable. What Solo Stove could end up doing with that. So that's that's pretty cool that they got so much more out of it than I think we can even initially like see right now. I would love to see that contract and see what they can use because <laughs> yeah. if they can keep using those in their ads, oh my gosh, I right. just run the Snoop Dogg solo stove ads forever, re-up that contract. It just doesn't feel shilly to me either. Just for what for what it's worth, like it just doesn't. Like it and I think part of it is because and I feel the same way with the Yeti and I feel the same way with some of these other premium products that have come on the market where it's like at the end of the day you can quibble at the price point all you want, but it's like having smoke in your face versus not is like pretty unequivocally everyone wants to not have smoke in their face except for Meredith. And <laughs> and, uh, and I just feel like it's like, and they're doing like pizza ovens and other stuff now. And it's like, this is a pretty cool brand, cool product. What's not to like? Most people would rather have it unless you're in Vermont. <laughs> Maybe it's the way a crackling fire in a solo stove makes you feel. Or maybe it's that being together again feels like home. Either way, we know the best memories are made together. It's fire pit season. And so it's like, I just feel like part of that <laughs> makes it not feel as as shilly as um, something like, I'll just make, like sunglasses, for example. Where you're like, mm-hmm. well... There's 5 million pairs of sunglasses. Right. Is it really that different? Um, Or might feel a little bit more like that or like an alcohol endorsement or something like that. Well, this goes back to timing too, because right now, Solo Stove doesn't really have competition. The competition, to Meredith's point earlier, is like literally tearing up your backyard and like building in like a pit that's underground. Like the cost for that is pretty substantial that most households can't justify spending. With our solo stove bonfire, we build fires so hot, the smoke virtually disappears. Whether they see me as a hero or a wizard, 
none of it matters as long as I get to be their dad. So until Solo Stove has some comparable competitors for price point and offering, they really have a unique moment in time to make these big investments and take these really big swings to corner the market even further before potential new competition can catch up. Yeah, I mean, their biggest competitor is seven to eight medium-sized rocks in a circle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) digging that up. Like, I mean, it's a lot. That's a lot. They're rolling around in your truck. You got rocks rolling around, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to find good rocks, you know. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Let alone gravel. That's a good campaign right there, actually. It's like, (laughs) I would love to see them get creative with that. And then you just have like every single like toddler aged kid be like, I'll take the eight rocks in the car because they all (laughs) pick up rocks everywhere they go. Uh, what what struck you about the Conan O'Brien one? Oh, and by I, I should probably give a shout out to this to his business manager, who is named Nick Adler. But yeah, what struck you about the Conan ad and partnership? And we're sitting in the backyard. We've got this um, lovely solo stove in front of us, and um, that's burning juniper wood. Can you smell that? It smells really good. Oh, and I will say, I know there are people that are like, why is Conan just mentioning Solo Stove? Yeah. Solo Stove, maybe we're doing business with them. Maybe we aren't. That's mm. not the important thing. We are. That's a great... Yeah, there's Solo Stoves everywhere. Yeah. I feel um, like they sent you like four. They yeah. sent five and they sent mm, a small forest worth of wood. Yeah. Yeah. So Conan, like early into the pandemic, was starting to get more creative with ads where you would hear him speak to ads, but it sounded like Conan was just doing a bit. And I had pitched at the time, the company I was working for to actually capitalize on that. So it was something very unique at the time for podcasting to have an ad that didn't sound separate. And he had actually made it his own. He did one for Long John Silver's and it's hysterical. He was like roasting Long John Silver's marketing team being like, they told me to say this, but screw that. So it's really funny. Again, you feel kind of in on it with him. You feel kind of part of it. So just in general, I've been impressed with their marketing tactics. But what I really liked about this was Again, he kind of made it into a bit initially. And then Mm -hmm. they actually made a whole series off of it where they do a summer campfire series where him and his two, his assistant, his producer, they actually, it's just for Solo Stove. Solo Stove is the only brand that sponsors it. And it's a unique part of their podcast where it's a video series, where it's after dark. They're not in their studio. They're all around the Solo Stove campfire, using it to make marshmallows, using it to keep themselves warm. Like actually, you know, utilizing and showcasing the product in use, which was very cool. It's just lovely. And then we have this solo stove uh, right in the middle of our campfire. Yeah. Now, I solo stove does not like me bringing them up. They get embarrassed. Even though I, they paid to be a sponsor for this. Please, I don't think they did. Oh. Okay. I didn't even know that. Okay. All I'm saying is I looked at this beautiful uh, device which creates the perfect campfire, really perfect. And there's no smoke and very little work because ingeniously they have little uh, air ducts. Just gorgeous. (laughs) Again, very similar to like Snoop actually being part of that photo with the stove. So he actually incorporated it, but then again, just making it a series. So I can ramble on and on about the brilliance of that partnership too. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And I think that, it adds something to the conversation because there's like s'mores and there's like other activities going on. It adds something visually as it's being shot because fire is always cool looking and the backyard is a cool setting and a backdrop and it takes nothing away. It is the perfect additive sponsorship where it's like, I don't care that it's sponsored. They can talk about solo stoves. That's fine for me. Most, most people don't care about those type of ads, uh, especially when you're getting a podcast for free. Uh, or watching a video for free. And it enhances the content in some way. And I love that. I think that's such such brilliant integrations into a show that's existing, which is very different yes. from this new partnership, which is, it is not that way. It's not integrated into existing content. So, And anytime where a brand, I think, is quote-unquote underwriting a show like that, right? And, and, this, and the, the creator can make that clear then it's really powerful. And I'll take a break that this is brought to you by the best tequila <laughs> in the world. No, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is brought to you by Solo Stove. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that's the future of Caspian Studios podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll record my backyard. I'll, I'll fire that there thing There you up. go. 
if you're listening, Soul Stove people, we are available for partnership whenever you want. Any other things on uh, on uh, Soul Stove marketing? I think that they overall just really understand the power of being first in a market and how to capitalize on that. And I think that they show and inspire other marketers that it's worth to take big swings, especially when you're in a position like they are. They're new, they're different, they're accessible. And then I think that they've also chosen very well who to take those big bets on. So I think both celebrities that we talked about clearly know how to be successful and position themselves to be successful, but also other brands and other people as well. So I think it's just a really good lesson, particular for, particularly for B2B marketers, because I think that that's where we see this being less of a thing is in the B2B space. Switching gears to Purple Cork and events. I'm a huge fan of y'all, huge fan of virtual events. I wrote about it in my book, Serialized Content Framework, which you can get for free. We'll link up in the show notes about branded events being a, a type of serialized content that work extremely well, that have a look and a feel and a vibe and all that stuff. We've heard them on our other show, Pipeline Visionaries, from marketer after marketer after marketer, that small batch events, that they're pivoting a lot to small batch events, that they work extremely well. We know that this is, is, this is a really effective tactic. And, and honestly, more than that, it's, it, it integrates into both serialized content and your event strategy. Where it lives, does it live in content? Does it live in demand? Does it live, you know, like it lives a bunch of different places. What are you seeing from your customers and the market on, on building these type of event series? I'm seeing that it's still very new to many companies. It, certainly when it comes to doing it really well, and to your point, like on a, you know, repeatable scale, I think a lot of companies that, you know, I've worked with, if they haven't done this before, it can feel like a really huge undertaking. And that's where Purple Cork, we just make it super easy and seamless for you. We really become that extension of your team because to your point, events, even in-person events, typically live in many different departments and your go-to-market team. So I think what I seek to kind of share a lot is that to think about events holistically and that this can be something that is always on, but it can look different when it's always on. So you can attach this to, you know, uh, leading industry events as a virtual event. You can attach this to micro communities. You can attach this to an influencer strategy. There's so many ways you can slice and dice this. But when you do think about how to effectively integrate it into what you already have going on, it makes it that much easier to turn that kind of motion on. And how do you think about marketing at Purple Cork? How do you think about content and doing that yourselves? Yeah, so I very much you know, was hired because I am the target persona. I have a background in B2B and more particularly account-based marketing. And so obviously micro events can very often live under that kind of umbrella or even field marketing in addition to demand gen. So I think that you know my CEO really saw that as an opportunity. I was already evangelizing the brand because I was taking that as a part of my playbook from company to company. Of course, referencing her in my community too. And so she saw the power of having somebody that did head up marketing that was already the persona. I understood all the challenges already that marketers like me are going to be facing. I understood all the budget constraints. I understood how to prove that out for my budget. And so I've come in and I've really been working with how do we scale this? Obviously, when she came to market with this, it was at the height of the pandemic. This was something that was very much needed. That pain point was super obvious. But as we are getting more accustomed to going back to in-person events again, the way we think about virtual events has to evolve, right? And what we're seeing is they don't go away, but the use case for it isn't always as clearly defined. And so I've really come on board and helps shape out like what is this, what is Purple Court going to look like, not just right now and what pain point do we solve for right now, but a couple of years from now. So that means evolving our initial hypothesis and that means evolving the use cases we solve and how we position ourselves in the market. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of it is like we always knew, you know, events were going to come back in some form or fashion. People love events for all the reasons that people love events. Going in person and meeting people is, is always important. But I think what we learned too is that we also need like virtual events and that they're extremely important. And the reason why is because there's many reasons, but it democratizes information and access in a way that if you can't be there in person and you don't, if you can't afford it, or if budgets are tight, then you can't go. Like that's not great. And like we see this 
in a huge way with these massive events and conferences is like the T and E budgets are freaking wild for these events. And so it's really expensive. And so virtual is one way for that. So I think that that's, that's true just in general for virtual events. And we've seen like a bunch of, a bunch of ways to, to think about that. And then the other thing is for a lot of times, people don't want to get out of their house. They don't want to leave their family. They don't want to leave their spouse or their friends or, or you know, do whatever it is and go out and do the thing. Which like some of that is bad. We should get out of the house for sure. But the other thing is that there's a large subset of buyers, people who actually sign the checks that would rather do a five-person wine tasting virtually with four people that they've never met, moderated by someone else or, or the event run by someone else, talking about things that are important to them on, you know, at, on Friday afternoon at 2 p.m., and those people are geographically dispersed, right? Because they can't have they can't have the wine tasting with the person who lives in New York, right? If they live in in Washington, and so there's just a massive need for that. And like, it's a completely different utility than an in person event. It's completely well, different. I mean, totally. Like, there, you know, there's connection, there's other stuff, but it's completely different. Well, and you've hit on a lot of the main points that you know we talked to to our our audience about is that barrier of entry. We've proven that it's changed and it's forever changed. So now that yeah. we've made these much more accessible, that's just not going to be removed from the human psyche. We know that these types of avenues exist, and maybe they do evolve. Maybe we do both, but it's more of a hybrid than a all or nothing than it was maybe a couple of years ago. And I think to your point too, what we're also finding is a lot of the in-person ROI for events has kind of dipped a bit. And I have a hypothesis for that. And I think that's because so much of why I go to an in-person event is for the people that are there. And if I'm going to go there, I either really need to be invested in meeting you, meaning I already know you, maybe you're already like an online personality. I'm somewhat familiar with who you are. And I just want that chance to meet you in person. Or I know you already really well. But to get me to meet somebody totally new as a stranger for the first time, that's going to be really hard for me to say yes to. I don't yeah. care if it's right down the street. I'm just not going to be that inclined to do it. So a lot of what we educate people on is virtual is actually better so that you can get that in-person interaction later down the line. And that's more likely to be the you know cold or warmer touch point that you utilize first versus that in-person. How do you think this fits with this new sort of head of content, head of perhaps comms, head of events, head of brand, this sort of like SVP of brand type role that encompasses all this stuff? Like where the heck should this stuff live? Is it in demand? Does it, does it matter? Is it because to me, it's like these are your brand, right? Like this is the most brand building thing you can possibly do is like, get people together over like food and drinks and talk about stuff. Like that is your brand, right? Facilitating those conversations. So yeah, anyways, where do you think it should live? Well, I think everything really starts with brand. And unfortunately, I think we forget that a lot in marketing, that everything that the brand stands for, everything that we showcase from the logo to the website to the values of the company, that needs to be amplified across all these different kinds of content, which event is certainly a type of content. So this could live in community even. This could live yep. in, you know, customer experience. This could live in any kind of go-to-market function you think of. I think it's important that they all intersect at some point. So again, thinking about this as being a channel that you are amplifying your brand across all different types of touch points with your customers. I totally agree. I, I'm curious how, how y'all think about ROI, but like, you know, the whole pipe in the room metric thing is, uh, you know, obviously is not a perfect, perfect you know, measure. But I think that we do a lot of that stuff for our series, for for our, for the series that we're doing of, of, hey, if you create, you know, a weekly podcast series over the course of a year and you have 50 episodes out there, what's the pipe in the room of like guests who came on the show? What's the pipe in the room of like listeners who, you know, like engage with certain things? And I think that stuff is super important to just be like, how are we co-creating with our customers and prospects, right? Like, what is our strategy for doing that? And like, to me, obviously it starts with like serialized content that people can like, you know, tap into and, and virtual events being part of that. But you have to start with some business metric and work your way backward. And I'm curious, anyways, long question. How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, I may not answer this perfectly, but I think serialized content, the best type of serialized content is the one that evokes conversation, right? Yeah. Regardless of medium, regardless of format, like we just talked about with this campaign that evoked a nationwide global conversation. So 
you should be seeking with whatever piece of content you're creating, whether that be a podcast, a video series, a live event series, you should be seeking for that to evoke conversation. And a lot of what our customers are getting out of these events is anecdotal feedback, whether that be on the topic, the product, the the presenters, what have you. They're getting people to come off mute and give them feedback, which otherwise would result in you don't get that until you have a really, you know, great relationship and rapport built with your AE when you're halfway through the sales cycle. So you're getting a lot of information and starting yeah. conversations a lot sooner. And that in this day and age, especially with, you know, the black holes we have when we can't measure everything, that is super important. And that comes across very well to the C-suite as far as how are you thinking about the overall ROI outside of traditional metrics. I just honestly like I think we all want to be sold to in a better way. And like, if you're doing the work for me and connecting me with people that you think I should be in touch with, like, hey, Ian, you know, there's someone cool that I think you should meet. There's four other people that I think you should meet. And, you know, we're going to set it up. We're going to send you some cool stuff. We're going to do X, Y, Z. Like, and I think, you know, that that would be cool. I'm saying yes to that, like nine times out of 10, if I have time. Right. Totally. Like that, yeah, that's it's just the way it is. You're doing the work for them. That goes back to the people, right? You're going there, not maybe so much for the brand, but the fact that that brand is allowing and providing and shaping that experience for you. So you don't have to do that yourself. They're making it easier for you. And the best brands are doing that. They're bringing their audiences together. Yeah. I mean, I think like sometimes we just get so obsessed with sort of like what we're making or like filling some marketing checklist. And I need to think of it of like, what is the like one out of 10 positive level interaction with the thing that we're going to create? Like, and this is, you know, I made this edutainment graph where it's like ed- ed- entertaining on one, on the one X axis and educa- educational on one and entertaining on the other. And I'm like, if it's not, if it's in the bottom left quadrant, like literally just don't make it. If it's not like a combined score, you know, over whatever, 13, like don't make it. And I think that sometimes we just like, obsess over you know like oh i have to make this thing and you're like well it's just that thing kind of stinks like just don't do that whereas the positive just like is this a positive association with your brand then like yeah you should make it is it like is it educational is it entertaining plot it on the graph if you think that it is that and people are going to have a positive takeaway from that then that's a good thing to be to be doing and like yeah of course you need to look at like the costs associated with these things over the long haul. But like for me, if you're selling to the enterprise, you need to increase human connections and decrease sort of transactional inter- interactions, right? Or it's like, you do this so that I can sell to you. It's like, yeah, but if you go to an event, like I don't need to buy from you. I understand the situation, right? But if I'm like, if I'm going to your event, like I'm happy to listen to you do a five minute sales pitch, right? Like that's fine. I also think too that most marketers, especially when they think about engaging with their customers in the enterprise space, they think that they shouldn't even be reaching out to their customers until there's like a case study ready to be built, yep. right? An ROI clearly defined. And that's just so not true. There's so much value in a first-time customer and speaking with them and just asking them, hey, how is the sales process for you? What what problem are would you assume that we're going to be solving for you? And then taking that information and running with it and getting them together with future customers with that same story. So I think we, to your point, we don't have to have everything perfectly lined up and ready in order for us to be providing great content for our audience to start engaging with. Yeah. It reminds me of the, of the old adage of like what uh, the CFO and the CEO talking and it's like, Hey, we need to invest in company training. And it's like, well, what if we train people and they leave? And it's like, what if we don't and they stay? Right. It's like the same sort of thing with getting your customers together. It's like, well, I don't want to get them together, our customers together until they have, you know, a, a good enough experience. And it's like, but they're telling people anyways. Totally. Like Underline, highlight. Yes. Yeah. They're, already <laughs> they're already doing it. <laughs> they're already doing it. So right. it's like, at least... Why not you be could, in the room? Yeah, Why not exactly. be in the room when they're doing it? <laughs> exactly. So at yeah. least create circumstances where like serendipity and positive experiences can happen and they have a more positive experience with your brand. Because chances are, your product is a commodity anyways. So totally. why they're going to continue buying from you if you're selling a CRM when there's a million CRMs is because of the way that they experience your brand outside of just features and benefits anyways. 
Exactly. I mean, that's a mic drop moment for the episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been it's been wonderful having you on the show. Karina, so great chatting. Is there any other things that just like last piece of advice for anyone thinking about digital events, how they can get ROI from it, how they can integrate it in for, for 2024 and beyond? Yeah, I would say think about your holistic event strategy overall and your overall content strategy and think about how can virtual events add to that experience, right? And then I also would say that don't count out, don't count out things that are already in front of you that can help make your virtual events successful. You likely already have some internal evangelists or third-party evangelists that can help to make the content of that type of experience even more meaningful for your audience. So those are the two things I'd leave you with. I love it. I, my, you know, after doing, you know, thousands of episodes of, of different type of series and stuff like that. One of the things that always works is just asking them like, what do you want to hear about? And then another thing, if you can't think of that is ask someone who's influential in the space, what do people normally ask you about? And it's like those two questions usually can fill your entire content calendar, right? So it's like, just, just ask the people with like the experts in the space, like, Hey, what do people like DM you about it with questions? And they're like, Oh, I always get asked about this. Like, maybe we should do content about that. Well, wonderful. So for our listeners, go check out purple cork, obviously an amazing company and doing really cool stuff. And I think like, you know, I think this is like very nascent sort of days for, for virtual events. And they're, they're a core part of, I think every modern marketing stack. So go check them out. Any final thoughts, anything to plug here? No, this has been great. I've really enjoyed kind of picking apart something that everybody I think is going to be able to relate to and at least remember. And I'm excited for the conversation that it goes from here. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. This heat is hella hot. I'm Snoop Dogg. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>